Servus and welcome to our podcast, The Formulas and One Jackass. Um, so glad to have you with us again. Put the cookie down. My name is Ryan and joining me is... Christopher here. Yeah, we just had a very dominant display from Red Bull at the uh, A1 ring, Red Bull ring or whatever it's called now. And lots to talk about because the championship looks so different now. And uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of the, the paradigm shift of the season, I suppose. Yeah, we had the middle hit, uh, the middle race in a triple header. First, we started in France, then we went to Styria, and next we're going to Austria. And as we mentioned last race, um, the Styrian Grand Prix and the Austrian Grand Prix is held at the same track, the Red Bull Ring, A1 Ring, Österreich Ring beforehand. But Red Bull owners a bit revamped. So next week we're going to the same track, but we're focusing on this. Uh, or rather last weekend's Grand Prix, the Styrian Grand Prix. And let's start off with uh, the national anthem of Styria. Yeah, wow. That was an unexpected Schlager out of nowhere. Suddenly you see <laughs> the mountains and everything and you hear Schlager. I'm like, am I watching Beautiful Formula scenery. One? What happened? Like, Beautiful scenery, though. The, sure. the anthem itself was definitely unexpected. Yeah. It was. Um, so if you haven't seen it, like it was, it was picturesque, you know, they showed pictures of the regions, which looked absolutely beautiful. Definitely Mm -hmm. made me want to visit. Um, but then the, the dude who was singing it was in his full Lederhosen, which Mm -hmm. fits, you know, um, but, uh, usually during anthems, we expect either a, a military band or a marching band or not really the whole Americanized, um, you know, vocalized version of a national anthem. But uh, there was this guy in a later wasn't coming out. And then the music started and it was, it started like poppy, you know, mm-hmm. and then went into the full Schlager. Yeah. And the anthem was just like vibe, a man. song. And that was very surprising. I did see some people in the crowd waving their flags, singing yeah. along, which is beautiful Good. to see. Absolutely. It's just that I was expecting the Austrian anthem because I'm an idiot. I, of course, thought that we're in Austria. It's not Styria, Steiermark or whatever and then it just happened and it was this dude with a really raspy hazy voice like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah. and you're like what on Actually, earth it's just happened yeah, Steiermark not and he was so young Steiermark man uh, we should use it as an intro maybe for the next episode because <laughs> uh, yeah it was, it was good it was very interesting it was uh, eye opening and a little bit of culture there I suppose Helmut Marko yes. looked a bit embarrassed but uh, yeah that could be for many reasons but yeah, beautiful country, beautiful region. Uh, like for sure, I, I would definitely like to visit one day. Yeah. Uh, do the whole tour of Hangar Seven, Red Bull's exactly playground. I mean, Dieter Matasic, the owner of Red Bull, he has he's uh, also an aviation enthusiast. He has lots of historical models as well. So it's a it's a whole experience as opposed to just look at the fizzy drinks energy company. Yeah. And uh, yeah, his sponsorship just is so varied you know it goes from extreme sports to uh you know formula one to remember the red bull air race that was yeah crazy that was insane crashed ice when you have uh people on ice skates going through a course yeah um that's sort of like an obstacle it's like parkour on ice yeah absolutely insane i mean because of red bull all these sports have gotten so much exposure and that's why we know about them and talk about them like i don't think i would imagine like an air race had it not been for for red bull for instance so 
yeah, good on them for all that and their efforts in F1, you know. The fact that they now have a track, they're going to be an engine manufacturer, not just, you know, a, a team in F1. Um, yes, there's a lot because I was worried that they would this would be like a short, short-term investment when they first joined F1, but clearly it's not. And it's been paying off for everyone involved and uh, it's great to see. Uh, I think, you know, the, the time period when they bought over Jaguar Racing and then they took over Minardi to, to form Scuderia Toro Rosso, and that was that business model went great for a while but then there's always questions as to how long and how seriously they they took it because when they had uh, problems with engine supplies for example they they pawned off the ferrari engines to their junior team they wanted the renault and then they sort of want didn't want the renault engine anymore they were forced to continue with it because no one else wanted to supply them so whenever that happened there was always in the back of everyone's mind saying you know is this the the trigger that red bull is going to pull for them mm-hmm. to pull out of the sport completely but in fact we've we've seen the opposite happening we've seen them invest more rather yep. than less uh, you know red bull powertrains is going to be a thing as well as the the rebranding of toro rosso into uh, into alfa tauri alfa mm-hmm. tauri is their fashion brand yep. which um you know as a fan i didn't know it was a fashion brand Same unless here. you know the, they have a formula one team and they start exactly. talking about that yeah. So they know how to rebrand and evolve with the times. And social media is a huge thing now. Um, I don't know if you saw the video of the, the Red Bull drivers and Alpha Tauri drivers going on a race, an adventure um, that that happened just before the steering Grand Prix. So if you yeah. haven't seen it, Christopher, check it out. It is fun. It is entertaining. Exactly yeah. how you want to see the drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily in their spare time, but outside of the world of formula one where all they talk about is 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 race cars and grip and and grip levels and downforce and such you know mm-hmm. absolutely i mean yeah red bull has been part of why i think f1 has been a bit more fun as well bringing in these like exciting things and more interaction with the fans etc and f1 has been slow to adopt that it's getting much better now but uh, yeah for sure without them it wouldn't have been as entertaining as it is now i think and it's fantastic to see them uh, being in the championship fight now. So yeah. let's, let's turn it back let's. into uh, 2021 uh, Formula One. But I suppose um, I was thinking after the race, you know, the, the ramifications of the, the Constructors' Championship and such. Red Bull currently leading mm-hmm. uh, the Constructors' Championship by about 40 points, I believe. And what popped into my head was that in this V6 hybrid era of Formula 1 that came in uh, in 2014 and uh, 2021 is the the final year of this this V6 hybrid era. So in my mind, how I think about it is that the two most important championships are the first of this new era, so 2014, and the last of this era, which is this year. Because the first is about... You know, who won the first uh, championship in the hybrid era? It's about who did the best job mm-hmm. with this new set of regulations. Who got the off last, to the better start. Exactly. Like, the yeah. last is about who had the best development mm-hmm. and who had the optimum package at the end of the set of regulations. Yeah. And most creative thinking, you know, thinking outside of the box in order to catch up, risking more, basically, in order to gain more. Um, so, yeah, for sure. It really shows how... 
Red Bull, that was a team that was always there and thereabouts uh, a couple of years ago, challenging Mercedes, where Ferrari, you know, kind of dropped the ball the last couple of years. And now they've taken up that mantle and big time even, like with Honda's development. Um, also because of Mercedes probably not developing as much this year as, uh, as Red Bull might do. But with that said, I think both teams are actually already fully focused on, on next year. But um, yeah, Mercedes just don't seem to be the top team anymore, which is so surreal. It's like we're used to seeing them being chased and the championship is always, can they, can anyone challenge Mercedes? Whereas now it actually seems like, can anyone challenge Verstappen and Red Bull? So Absolutely. You, you touched on development. Mercedes has this weekend come out to say that they've effectively stopped development on the 2021 car and focusing their resources and attention to 2022 with the new set of regulations. Uh, Red Bull immediately came out and said, yeah, we haven't stopped developing uh, for them. They know this is a serious uh, throw to the to the championship. And we see the updates that they keep on bringing. Mm-hmm. Um, even uh, Lewis Hamilton mentioned that, you know, I would love an upgrade or something like that because we need it in order to compete. Uh, Toto Wolf, again, being quite fast to shut that down uh, and say there are no developments coming. We're focusing on 2022, which is part of the longer strategy. And then he comes in at this usual business talk to uh, clarify his situation and justify his situation, which all power to him. He is the man. He makes the decisions. But Red Bull hasn't stopped development. And what's interesting about this race was that it is sort of the usual lights to flag race, which is typical of the, the V6 hybrid era. But this time it was a Red Bull instead of a Mercedes taking yeah. a dominant victory. Exactly. Even edging out on time, Lewis just losing time, not being able to respond to anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit surreal to see that again. Like it was just such a dominant show of display at the home track. And um, yeah, like I said, it, it seems to be that Verstappen is in a in a good has good momentum now, and it's up to Mercedes to try and do anything to stop him. And they even have to be creative now, and that's when more mistakes happen. So, if Mercedes can't keep up now and start losing a, a bit more pace or like momentum, then they might even tumble um, at the end of the year. But who knows? It is Mercedes; they can come back from this if they want to. But I think with how many races they're going to be now in a short amount of time, I think Red Bull for sure has the upper hand. I've mentioned to, uh, this to you in conversation, but I don't think I've mentioned it on this podcast before. But this Max Verstappen against Lewis Hamilton fight reminds me a lot of the Fernando Alonso versus yeah. Michael Schumacher fight. It it's does. The, it does. It's the, the young mega talent versus the, the seven-time world champion. And you just see a lot of similarities between this whole sort of title showdown between yep. the young buck who has been uh, deemed a future world champion for a couple of seasons already. Oh yeah, um, if not more. If not more. Uh, but then, yeah, Alonso at that time being the youngest world champion before Lewis Hamilton uh, pipped him a couple of years later. And then Vettel. But, uh, yeah, and then Vettel. But uh, yeah, it, it reminds me so much of that nostalgic sort of 2005-2006 era, um, which is, I don't know, that's, I suppose, yeah. when we started watching Formula One. Exactly. So perhaps I mean, we are two nostalgic old farts. Possibly, but, but it has that vibe because Ferrari was the dominant team right up until like 2005 was a bit of a fluke year, right? But even 2006, they were considered to be, you know, the dominant team. 
And there was a lot of changes happening in the background, like Schumacher leaving at the end of the year, Di Montezemolo kind of restructuring, making way for a new era of Ferrari, uh, which happened in 2007. And just like you said, that's in a way also why you can draw parallels to to uh, to this year, you know, because Mercedes are looking forward to next year. And Verstappen, like you said, is the young upcoming driver who's challenging Lewis, who's the seven-time champion. I think specifically that 2005 season is a huge learning point for Mercedes, why they've been managing to remain competitive for all these years, because they didn't want the same thing happening to them. So Mercedes has always been a team that's been flat out, even after the first and second and third and fourth world championship constructors and drivers. They still kept pushing the envelope in terms of car development, having the fastest car, because they saw what happened to Ferrari in 2005. Um, Perhaps they were just a bit too overconfident having won all these titles after a row the the 2004 car was in my opinion one of the best cars yeah, ever made agreed. you know engine wise aerodynamically despite the regulations and the groove mm-hmm. tires and such so they came into uh, 2005 actually with a, a b-spec of their 2004 car which wasn't um, unheard of back then like af- Ferrari absolutely, did that a couple absolutely. of times absolutely but this year was they they knew it was coming that they tried to peg back peck them yeah. back so much and uh, perhaps starting the season a bit overconfident uh, and that just carried throughout 2005 where we saw Renault and we saw McLaren uh, managing to get the victories and share the spoils yeah. between them uh, apart from a US Grand Prix at Indianapolis in 2005 yeah. which uh, is still yeah. embarrassing we don't talk about that <laughs> Ferrari was also famous at the time for always you know FIA was the Ferrari international assistance or whatever yeah. They would always, you know, kind of find issues with the other teams, report it with the FIA and rules would be changed. And I feel like Mercedes is a little bit in that situation now as well with the flexi-wing situation at Red Bull. And there's another war going on there that kind of reminds me of back in the day with Ferrari versus every other team. Um, but now Mercedes seems to, it, it maybe is a little bit of are a they, sign of Are they starting to crack? Yeah, are they starting to, to show the signs because they've been using the media a lot? Yeah. Yeah, to to exactly. air that frustration. You mentioned flexi wings. Now engine development is yeah. a thing. After the race in France, where it was just um, evident that the the Honda engine uh, or Honda powertrains were faster, mm-hmm. um, despite uh, you know rear wing issues. I'm still uh, not sure it is a faster engine. If I have to be honest, I do think that well, they, Red Bull are good at maximizing the most of it, like running with a very low downforce rear configuration. And still getting the rear grip, uh, that's I think that's the strength because that's how they kind of edge out uh, compared to Mercedes, you know. Um, so Mercedes can afford to run a higher downforce rear wing in order to be maybe kinder on the tires. But even then, Red Bull also seems to be actually well, kinder think, on the tires. I think so. it's also it's also part of the the Red Bull being able to use a lower downforce wing yeah. because in the fast corners. They're still there, you know. Yeah, They're not I mean. losing out so much on Mercedes. Yeah. But what the data actually shows from GPS data, and I can't really remember where I read it, but um, I have to source it from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the data GPS data actually shows that the Mercedes engine derates more than the Honda engines on the straight. Uh, so that means that the battery is harvesting power earlier on the straight than the honda is so when the battery or the system is harvesting energy it 
doesn't really decelerate, but it doesn't give you that top speed yeah. extra oomph that you get from the turbos and 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 the hybrid power. So um, D rates was an issue that Honda famously struggled with for for seasons and seasons on end, and with this new uh, powertrain update that they did this year, it does uh, it seems to be less of an issue. And yeah. Mercedes actually struggling with the uh, with the. Uh, harvesting issues yeah and they never seem to have issues with that uh with the d-rate it seems to be always be like a renault or honda issue but uh ryan can you tell me what d-rate stands for my d- <laughs> 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 uh i thought i'd just call you out one second <laughs> uh d-rate uh but yeah going back to the fight it it was a dominant victory i think before Hamilton made a second pit stop, uh, Max Verstappen was about 15 seconds ahead yeah. already. L- like Lewis losing a second per lap almost at one stage. And yeah, it just seemed like Verstappen didn't lose any pace at all throughout the weekend. Like he's good at this track for sure. But the car was good on the tires. The car had top speed. Uh, everything um, that you'd want, they kind of had. Um, so very impressive. And even like Perez, who I think had a bad start like it wasn't a bad bad start it was just not as good of a start and he got held up a little bit i think lando just drove fantastically in those Uh, opening laps for sure for sure but lewis backing up um perez into norris as well so Mm. that kind of you know uh, exaggerates further down during the race so i think perez would have been able to get a podium uh, had he had a little bit better of a first and second lap but lewis being really smart with that already thinking about the long term and uh yeah i think it was just a case of of um better's having a mishap of course during his first pit stop yeah uh, that 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 he didn't keep his track position as opposed to botas then when they tried the the alternate strategy perhaps just a lap maybe two laps too late you know they could have i don't think i think i think it was a i think it was good timing uh it's just that yeah it's just how Traffic. this race would have gone. Like, well, if uh, I'm, I'm sure, if they had one lap more of the race, he would have yes. gotten him. Had there been or, one more lap extra in the race, he would yeah. have gotten it. But had yeah. he pitted a lap earlier, I'm not sure. Bottas would still be able to maybe manage it a little bit um, in the middle of the stint. So, who knows? But good show from them. Um, Mercedes did absolutely what they could. Um, they did. They got the best result, and yeah, and Perez was just almost there. So. It still seems like Red Bull is definitely stronger. 40 points now ahead, and that is more than uh, a 1-2. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I suppose. So, math. It is, yes. Yeah. 38. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, So, math. yeah. So, that that is exciting. Uh, yeah, moving on. I think, do you have anything to say to add, Red Bull, Mercedes? No, just that next race will be interesting as well. Um, I think possibly Red Bull could even be even stronger who knows um but yeah them and uh, ferrari i would look out for 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 the next race even though we had the same track cool speaking so, of ferrari can i just mention the, the leclerc thing because he was driver of the day of the day he had an amazing race not gonna lie it was so impressive watching him but on the first lap uh, in the first corner they went three cars wide he got pushed off track by gasly it was very unfortunate gasly couldn't do anything there typical first lap incident Leclerc runs out on the escape road, rejoins, but then kind of veers slowly to the right and tries to slip Drift in twice. behind the ghastly slipstream. But then, like, obviously cuts his rear tire. 
ruins his own front wing, Gasly falls back and is really good at managing not hitting anyone else, kind of causes a little bit of an issue into turn three, uh, is out of the race, basically, he's completely destroyed. Uh, Leclerc, no penalty. And I was actually shocked because that seemed like such... Um, like, it, it almost looked like on purpose. I don't, I'm not saying it is. I don't think it is. I think it was just clumsy. But the, the way it happened, he had so much room on the left, why he would just immediately try to jerk in behind Gasly. Um, there was nothing on his left side there. So I think that should have been a penalty. And later on in the race, he overtakes Kimi as well. And slowly veers more into the middle of the track from the left side and hits Kimi's front wing as well. And that was definitely just a clumsy mistake. And that seemed really strange as well. Uh, yet he wasn't penalized, had an amazing result, but I don't think that was fair. It was good drive from him, apart from those two in incidents. And I think the first incident should definitely have been a penalty because uh, it ruined Gasly's race and he could just continue. Yeah, I, Christopher, I think what happened is that we jinxed it. Last podcast, we said the stewards had a good race. Ah, uh, yeah. So they they needed to do their karmic yeah, justice. But, you know, first lap into So the... I, I, I agree. Like, it, I was on the fence because yeah. it it was a first, you know, the incident occurred during the first lap. Yeah. So you do need to have more leeway in the first lap. Absolutely. Simply because if they clamp down on the first lap, then like half the field would get a penalty. And the start is one of the most exciting um, times of, of the race. You know, anything can happen. So it, it's good that they have more leeway. But judging in this instance, this situation... Uh, I think we can liken it to um, who was it Latifi and Mazepin in Imola, where yeah. Latifi went off track, came back, didn't see Mazepin at that time, but yeah. ventured right, left no room on the inside. They hit, and Latifi did get a penalty for that. So yeah. this situation is is quite similar. Yeah. Yes, both of them go off track. Yeah. But. Gasly was all the way to the right. There was no space left no. anymore. And yeah. we just saw Leclerc venturing right and right and right. Yeah. Should have left the space and didn't. They touched. Gasly's race was over. And yeah, I, I do think it was a penalty. Yeah, and a Great potentially very drive. dangerous situation as well. Because so many cars from behind and you have mm -hmm. a car suddenly punctured. So I think with that in mind as well, it, it, it should have been a penalty. And I understand that it's the first lap. But... That's usually because there's lots of cars surrounding each other and there's not much space and, you know, you're looking at three different things happening at once. But that was already kind of over. So, yeah, that's why I think uh, maybe the stewards should have been a bit harsher uh, in this Speaking case. Speaking of them stewards, what about the, the grid penalty for Bottas, firstly? And we also had a grid penalty for Tsunoda. Um, three places, yeah. both. Okay, so the, the pit lane spin thing, I've, I'm a big advocate of pit lane safety because uh, I think it is the, m the most risky place uh, in the race to be. There's people standing next to cars, even though they have a speed limit. So much happening and we see all these unsafe releases, like how many times we've been lucky, n nothing really serious has happened. And then now seeing how uh, Valtteri on cold, hard tires, trying to spin up the tires, it, 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 and it doesn't look like he's doing much... Uh, you know, he's not overreacting to the car, but it just spins because it's cold and it's unfortunate. And I think it, it should maybe be a little bit of a wake-up call that we should have strict regulations with regards to, to the pits, like just as they have in um, the World Endurance Championship. And I think Anthony Davidson was talking about in the broadcast as well, how, you know, there's only a certain amount of RPM you can go to. You can't spin your wheels, all these kind of things. Um, I think that's a good idea. 
And that also ties into the next point I'm sure you want to talk about with the new pit stop rules. But just before that, I think a Bottas' penalty, yeah, um, it's a tough one. I don't know if it should have been monetary or it should have been grid placed, but it is a serious offence and it should definitely have been um, penalised. It's just a bit strange situation. The Tsunoda incident, though, um, I think, yes, that was fair. He got that. Um, not necessarily because of something he did by accident. It was unfortunate. He should have stayed on the right side of the track, slowed down a bit earlier on the straight. He may have not heard in the radio what was happening. He got he out of the way. He said he wasn't told. Yeah. And what he said as well is by the time he actually saw him, yeah. because of the crest, yes. because it, it dropped yeah. down, he didn't see him. Yeah, no, but that, it so makes sense. But the, At the, that time, it, it is, you know, when you realize that it's already too late, he yeah. did the safest option, which yeah. was no, just to stay I, left. I, no, I agree. To to I agree. Cross I agree. I agree. I agree. Tsunoda probably couldn't have done much more to, to avoid, but uh, Bottas was hampered, and that's just the fact. Um, Bottas trying to come into the corner, into a braking zone, sees a car in front, Maybe breaks a bit earlier. He could have braked later, but, you know, his lap is ruined by that because he's distracted. And, yeah, I think that's fair. I was very sad because, you know, it seemed to be... Re Yuki could have had an amazing result, uh, an amazing race. And he had an okay race, uh, but, you know, it could have been more. But, yes, the, these are the kind of things that... Um, that happens sometimes and i think i do it's fair. think i do think it has to be revisited as to who truly gets the punishment you know because in the botas incident i don't think it was driver error you know mm, both no. he himself and the team agreed mm -hmm. in free practice to try mm -hmm. out leaving the box in second gear because they saw that they lost time in the getaway in the pit stops in the previous race in france compared to the red bull where they couldn't account for about eight tenths of a second during the the actual pit stop phase yeah. of coming into the pit lane, stopping at the marks, driving away from the from the box, and then exiting the pit lane. So they've lost about yeah eight tenths, zero point eight uh, of, uh, of a second with that. So both the teams and both us decided to try if they leave in second gear if they have less time loss in that sense. So it was a, a, a team decision. Yeah. Uh, Bottas is not a reckless driver no. at all, so he wouldn't actively do this to in to you know. He wasn't taking high risk. Let's put it that way. He wasn't yeah. trying to gain minimum time by taking big risks. It just seems so. To it's be... just a it's just a combination of of course it's not asphalt there. It's concrete. Yeah. It's painted over yes. with you know the sponsor uh, and such. Um, brand new, I think, hard compound tires as yep. well. Yep. So you have all the ingredients for something to ha uh, yeah. to happen luckily of course no 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 one was injured mm -hmm. you know um, he was very close to the mclaren pit crew yeah. who uh, very graciously helped him along his way as well and that was nice to see yeah but yeah to penalize the driver for that i i think there needs to be a punishment for the team to that yeah that but even if you punished if you punished mercedes with a monetary fine they'll be like sure whatever just here's some pennies we don't care championship points Yes, that, I was thinking that as well. But in a situation like this, wouldn't that be too hard? There's no precedent for it so far. Well, there's no, and that's why I understand why it was a three-place grid penalty. But maybe there should be like a rule about if the team seems to endanger you know, the pit lane procedures, there should be a, a different kind of penalty. But there isn't really anything in the rules about that. But then what if the team truly did not inform Yuki Tsunoda that uh, Valtteri Bottas was coming sleeping behind? Yeah. And it was only up to the driver to then see if a driver is behind him or not. 
being able to see. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the team should be the team should be penalized more than the driver in that case, um, and the, they have been as well in a way with the with the three place grid penalty. I think, yeah, I think that that is it is ultimately the driver that's in the car in these kind of sessions, and yeah, it's unfortunate. It's the team's fault probably, um, but yeah, when you know, you know what I think right. about qualifying and cars bunching up and driving too slow. Like it's. Yeah, it's it's, it's so stupid. I, I, I think it's silly. Yeah, but you spoke about it before. Um, just mid-season, mm-hmm. the, the FIA came out with new pit stop change regulations. Yeah. Where, um, essentially, boil it down, they gave a directive to the teams that should they use any active um, automation in their pit stop, that that would no longer be allowed. All automation must be passive in form of sensor just for safety checks. So they've, uh, I don't know who they is, the the FIA, perhaps the reigning world champions, mm-hmm. constructor champions as well, yep. saw that Red Bull just pumps out sub two second stops time and time and time again, which is an amazing feat. Absolutely. And perhaps if they're using some form of automation in their wheel nuts or guns or whatever sort, that uh, that's not allowed. But more interestingly is what actually Paul Giresta said, I think in the in the pre-show qualifying or such, where his view is that automation was actually safer in a pit stop environment. And yeah. he would trust automation to be safer than human decision and human element in a yeah. pit stop. Yeah. So to, to give a bit of context, um, in automation, so with sensors, they can see if the wheel nut is tight or that the car has fully been uh, lifted off the ground and back on again. As opposed to a human being, doesn't matter how good your eyesight is, to see if the wheel nut is not or see if the car is lifted off the ground. Like There is so much delay between seeing and by the brain processing mm-hmm. and then by giving a okay motion with the thumbs up or pressing a button or such yeah um a sensor can do that so much faster yeah you know and yes sometimes sensors fail and that's why they test for it and they come up with a with a deviation of you know one in perhaps 350 or a thousand five hundred times it fails but a human being can it's it's always 50 50 yeah i mean Remember back in the day when we had, you know, like fuel and pit stops, there was quite often incidents. And then some teams kind of tried to get these, um, the lamps that we have in the pit now with the red and the green. And the beginning, they were not good. And I was a bit like, Ferrari had a green light on, someone went out of the pit, the hose is still attached, chaos. And you're like, oh my God, like... Which in is true, case, and then work. they had to come. They then, and at that time, they had to come up with the story that oh yeah, but on the pit wall they have a master override. Yeah, that they can override the system, and actually, when the green light is given, it comes from the pit wall because they so, have to justify the automation human error. and say that humans yeah. are still better than than judging that. Now, I I completely agree. Like I think in in pit stops, we should try to automate it as much as possible to get fewer and fewer human decisions into this because i don't know it's it seems to be the safer option and i suspect mercedes have lodged this appear uh, this um, protest uh with with regards to the pit stops because they're not known for having very good pit stops mm-hmm. red bull are known for having very very good pit stops and when's the last time red bull made a mistake in the pit stop that like 
um, ended up becoming like an unsafe release or a tire not attached properly. Like mm. they had an issue with Perez to stop being a bit slow, but that's fine. That's okay. Uh, no issues there. So it seems to come out of nowhere. It's it's very strange. Well, what we've heard over the years when the the Red Bull pit stop timings have been put to the Mercedes team, they always said, "Well, three seconds is enough for us. It leaves us nice margin." Um, and we'd rather have it safe than be the fastest. Mm-hmm. But that was at the times where cars were not within three seconds of them. They yeah. can take as l- three seconds in their pit stop yeah. because the second uh, the the cars were about eight seconds at least back of them. So they could ha- they had all the time for the world in the world to do their pit stops. Now there is a car that is definitely within three seconds. And in fact, um, what is it? Uh, a quarter of a second faster than their car according mm-hmm. to lewis hamilton so they definitely don't have three seconds to yeah, take absolutely uh, and we have seen perhaps uh, them trying to to uh to increase the speed of their own pit stops yep. perhaps monaco was an example of that where they yep. just tried too hard and they failed so yep. is this a way of them acknowledging saying yeah maybe we can't beat them in the pit stop but let's try to slow them down yeah it seems you know cracks are forming in the team they're getting desperate um strange new rules coming in as out of nowhere um yeah it's it's interesting i'm not really for this i'm, I'm for making pit stops safer and i think there's lots more you can do having less people uh on the uh in the pits in the boxes for instance that could be one thing um yeah but yeah let's yeah, but see if i if i if i look at indycar though mm-hmm. whenever i see a pit stop my mm-hmm. heart sort of Oh yeah, that, that's, stops that's because insane. that's fucking scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're they, using I ethanol think... as well, and like, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. NASCAR pit stops as well. I like, um, it's so it's I insane. think they have uh, just one on each tire. Yeah. No, no, not even. Uh, they have people one side them, and left side. So the uh, the person on the red, uh, left side changes both the left rear and the left front mm-hmm. uh, at the same time. Then they throw the gun yeah. to yeah, the yeah, other yeah. side because yeah. all the equipment has to be away from the pit lane. Mm-hmm. Um, if uh, this is weird, if a driver drives over the equipment of another team, the driver gets penalized, or their own equipment or something like that. It's just fucking weird. But it hmm. there, it's unsafe. Yeah, it's unsafe. And there, we've already had a reduction in pit crew. Uh, I think this came came by quite a long time ago. I think in the in the V8 era or something like that, beforehand, they had loads more people. But what is, is it a, a question of having less people there or just mm, have it more I just think, safer? yeah, I, I just wish the pit lane in general was safer. Like there wouldn't be an, that, that you couldn't hit people in the pit lane. Like if there was something you could do there, like it's But what it's about the season? The season, what I noticed is that they're also at an angle. Yeah, nowadays. I noticed that as well. You know, and and I I didn't read anything about no, that or same. saw anything about it. It was just there. So the first time I saw it, I was just like, okay, maybe my vision was crooked because I had too many beers. Yeah. But you you see, some teams definitely it's have in the it it's in the entry. An so yeah, yeah. you park a bit more. You're not parked straight. You're parking more towards yeah, yeah. the wall. So, so it's easier usually, to get into the box. Mm-hmm. And then when you go out, uh, you just have to turn. There a is bit more, more lock though. Yeah, there, there is. is more lock though. And. Uh, I suppose for me that's where the danger is is when the cars are because they also the showed uh, in, in the race in France of course Mercedes being constructor championships they have the first box in yeah. in, in the pit lane but with France with a very short pit lane yeah 
that both drivers had to make a definite steering angle and steering lock first yeah. to the right then to the left in order to fit in their in their box yeah. uh during the pit stops so it's yeah it's it yeah um it's not as strange but it's we haven't really been informed or, or shown the benefits of having it at an angle as no. opposed to parallel to to the pit lane yeah i wish they would do a feature on it on sky sports or something I, i'm sure it's coming uh something like that because it i noticed it too and there's been no talks about it and you know it seems pretty consistent so yeah who knows maybe we just missed something but uh, i wouldn't be surprised either too many beers yeah, that too. <laughs> um yeah so pit stop um is there anything you want to discuss yeah, just a bit about um, Alpha Tauri as well. And Honda looked so strong this weekend, basically. They looked like the team to beat. And Alpha Tauri looked amazing. Tsunoda, during the practice session, he was up there. And so was Gasly. I think Gasly still had the edge, of, edge on him. But Tsunoda definitely looked more confident. Wasn't overdriving the car. Uh, in fact, actually looked like there was still time in the car. And he was just playing it safe during practice and qualifying. So I was super excited to see what he could do. And unfortunately, in the race, Gasly had his incidents, which is, I think, a shame because he's a little bit... Uh, I'm rooting for Gasly this year, not not necessarily because I'm a big Gasly fan, but I just think it's amazing how he's turned everything around and he's kind of like the team leader at AlphaTauri now and he is being so consistent in his performance. Him and Norris uh, this year have been doing amazing. And I would add Sainz to that as well, even though Leclerc is also great. Um, but we saw this race, yeah, Sainz finishing six, having solid, solid um, performance. So, yeah, Yuki, I, th I think he, he kind of redeemed himself a little bit this weekend. A ninth or tenth place, I think tenth place finished. Um, tenth. Yeah, so hopefully next weekend he should be he should be higher up. He, he can't, yeah, finish this low again. And, yeah, um, excited to see what he can do, but still, you know, still on the fence. He still has to prove himself, and I think he knows it as well. Yeah, I want to talk about a man who is a renowned for loving Honda engines, mm -hmm. uh, Fernando Alonso. Mm -hmm. So, the we, king is back. The king is back. So yeah. we uh, one thing that stood out for me was at the end of Q two. So he drove a lap. He didn't know his position yet, mm -hmm. but he was on the radio saying, "Beautiful. Uh, that was so enjoyable. I don't care what position we are. Uh, I enjoyed it." And we saw that in the, the press interview after that, after qualifying. Um, and we also saw it after the race. So I saw a little clip on on um, Dutch TV when they were in the media pen interviewing him. <laughs> With Lando. Uh, yeah, and just <laughs> they were watching ahead. And he was he was happy. Uh, oh. I think he, he extracted absolute maximum from the car that there is right now. When we're seeing qualifying, him managing to make Q3, his teammates uh, in Q1 out, I think. Yeah. And just also during the race, we just saw his race pace. And we saw him uh, uh, at first in the top 10 battling with uh, George Russell in yeah. the Williams. Yeah. In fact, you saw that the, the Renault engine just couldn't really keep up yeah. and be that competitive. And then he was in the mix with, with Alfa Tauri, with uh, Ferrari, with um, uh, McLaren as well. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was fantastic to see him there. Uh, and he's, he's obviously enjoying himself exactly. so much. I was about to say, you can see when he's driving during the race, like he's making a, some mistakes because he's doing some alternative lines to be defensive. 
But what you can see is he's really fighting for it and he's really enjoying it and he's being so racy. And even if you make these little mistake, he kind of catches up on it. And I have to admit, I thought this this year that he he um, I think Ocon has has been doing well, and mm-hmm. I thought that him and Ocon would be pretty close this year simply because he's been away for a bit and he needs to get back into it. I know a lot of people expected more from Alonso straight uh, when the season started, but I think that was very unrealistic, even if it is Fernando Alonso. But I did not expect him uh, so soon to kind of already have cemented himself. Like the last two races, he's really shown that okay. He is the guy in the team. Like Ocon signed a three-year uh, contract, and luckily he he signed it yeah. in time. Because if this if if this contract renewal or, or or signing happened, maybe in three four races, and we have three four races similar where Fernando is just odd and yeah. comprehensively beaten out, uh, I don't he think he would have gotten the two-year three because year I think we're coming into the European season now with the classic tracks, and the way Fernando was driving the car this weekend, it, it's like he is. Is his, like he's you know his driving style he forces the car around and then he just manages to you know kind of save it a bit in the end and that was the Alonso you could see this race so he's like he's absolutely on it maybe a I bit think... more than his abilities can yet until he's like acclimatized more into to the cars this year but uh, I think yeah, he impressive. is he is so looking forward to Hungary mm-hmm. or maybe even Sandford. I'd say uh, I Monza. Be... Monza is where they should look forward to. Um, Alpine. Alpine. Monza. Long straights. Renault engine there. Last couple of years, they had really good pace, and I. But think... yeah, these are these are races that he's he's targeting because he knows he can either score a podium. Yeah. And perhaps a fluke victory. Yeah. You know, you never know what happens, but he's already rubbing his hands together. I mean, because... where the race in Suzuka. I would put yeah. money on Alonso for possibly winning the race. You never know. Like that's where a great driver makes a difference between a good and a great driver. You know, you can just count on him to do an amazing performance on a difficult track under difficult conditions. And yeah, I wouldn't put it past him if something like this happened this year, because you can see it in him. He's he's racing. And on the opposite end, Ricardo um, again had a bad weekend. Watched a couple of his onboards. I don't know about you, like just from what I see, which is armchair expert eyes, I feel like there's more in the car and he's just not he's not accelerating early enough. He's not forcing the car in the corners. Um, yeah, I, he's still braking late, but there's there's something there that's just kind of he's, he's playing it safe. I find um, he doesn't have the confidence in the car, really. But he doesn't seem to end up in situations where he's kind of pushing the limit either. So And that's important too. You don't want to overdrive the car simply because you know that you are not at the performance. Yeah, level but at now now I would say like, okay, Daniel, do a Fernando, overdrive the car, find out where the limit is, and then we yeah, can Yeah, but if he have if he has three crashes in a row, mm-hmm. I mean if he's doing a Sonoda, then you're just like, Well, is he justifying the big money move? Well, I'd say it's 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 I I can't believe we're talking about it because I would not have expected it. Um, but maybe McLaren made a mistake. Maybe Ferrari did a good job of getting signs. Like it didn't seem like that in the beginning, but it seems like that now. I would of course still give Ricardo another year to see how he'll do in the McLaren. But if by then he's still solidly beaten by Norris, you know, then I think that's a bit his uh, future World Championship aspirations a bit down the drain there. So you think by now? That if we look at all the drivers who switched to a new team, mm-hmm. so from that list we have Sergio Perez, we have Carlos Sainz, 
We have uh, Fernando Alonso, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Ricciardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that had previous Formula One experience, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by now, by this race, what is it? Race seven, eight. Oh, I don't know actually. Eight? Ooh, anyways, yeah. we're going to cut this out. Oops. But by now, <laughs> by now, by this stage of the season, uh, they've had, you know, sufficient time in in the car to to know what it can do and to find that performance level and limit of it. So I think uh, Fernando has found it. I think Sebastian Vettel has gotten to grips with the car as well. Carlos Sainz is doing fantastically. Absolutely, yeah. Um, He's pushing the limits when he's driving. You can see it and he is coping with it. Sergio Perez also managing to close the gap a little bit. Satisfying watching him and board. You see him getting more and more confidence in the car and driving the car a bit like Max as well now. So it's good to see. So that just leaves Daniel Ricciardo left. Yeah. Of the, the drivers who switch teams that are still not on it. Yeah. And then we question like is the is the car just very difficult? We talked about the narrow operating window before. Uh but the car is good. We're seeing what Lando Norris can do. I yeah. mean, yes, last race uh, they finished almost a minute behind the, the front two. So it is in contention for the Formula uh, 1.5 yeah. uh, championship. But this car can, can bag a podium when it goes wrong for yeah. one of the two cars in front. But um, what, what I suspect, this is again like armchair... You know, just looking at purely on boards, how the car drives. Last year, we saw the McLaren have a couple of mistakes. You know, Lando doing a couple of mistakes, Sainz doing a couple of mistakes. And from my point of view, what I feel like the car's tendency is, it does seem like the rear is kind of heavy, if it makes sense. Like, it's a bit set up to understeer and the rear is a bit heavy. And in order to get the most out of this car, you kind of need to swing the rear around with you and then keep it in that spot, and then slowly accelerate. You can't really kind of, once you get it a bit over the edge, it's you, you kind of lose it quickly. And I feel like when Daniel driving it, you can see he's not getting to that stage where he's in that point where he can kind of like force the car in, the rear is turning perfectly, and he gets slowly on the throttle. It seems almost like he turns the car, but then he knows it's safe, and then he accelerates, where Lando is just like balancing that point uh, mid-corner where the car seems to be at that point where he will either understeer or oversteer and then he just kind of manages it. And uh, yeah, Ricardo is famously good on the brakes and we've seen that this year that he's really good on the brakes, but maybe he's relying on that too much in his driving style. I, I don't know, but it's, um, yeah, it is a difficult car possibly to drive, but fast if you know what you're doing. And I don't know if it's something you can dial out of the car that they still have stuff to learn about the car and Lando just learned to cope with it. But I think one of the strengths with Lando as well is that we talked about this before. He's so nerdy. He says it himself. And I think his biggest strength is that he is so nerdy. Like, he just wants to get this car to drive as quick as possible so it's easiest for him to drive the car fast. And he's so he's spent so much time in sims and in real life making setups, talking with engineers. And I think Ricardo, of course, has done that, but in a much more simplified way. There's a clip online of Jensen Button and Ricardo going out karting in America somewhere. Uh, from a couple of months back it was really interesting and they're talking a little bit about setup and I think Ricardo even admits that he's never really been good with the setup and Jensen kind of looks at him like 
so important. He wasn't either when he was younger, but then he learned these things. And they're talking about something. And Ricardo misunderstood what Jensen says about setting up the car with the suspension. And I was just like, that, like that's surprising coming from a Formula One driver. I thought maybe that's just they were joking, but maybe that is one of his weaknesses that he can't really. It takes time for him to get used to a car and learn how to set it up. He needs guidance with that. It's not like an instinctive thing where he can just be like, oh, I feel like I need a little bit uh, stiffer re rear suspension or whatever. Um, you know, where Lando has that idea already from the beginning. He has certain. He can he can kind of foresee where the car will drive under with this kind of setup and that kind of setup. Um, so yeah. So in short, what I think is that Lando is just really good at understanding the car, setting up, getting the most out of it, getting all these nerdy things out of it. And Ricardo possibly lacks that. And that could be the difference. And uh, yeah, I think Lando and uh, Carlos last year worked really well to help each other get to know the car. So We shall see. Uh, we have uh, uh, the same track coming up. So mm -hmm. that is sort of a good barometer and comparison between... Uh, race one yep. and race two to this track as well i want to say this is a driver's track if mm -hmm. ever there is a track where you want to see drivers do well it's this track um so that's why i was kind of happy to see Tsunoda doing well because it's a short track um some of the corners are kind of difficult but it's a fun track you can kind of really push the limits and yeah so it will be yeah. interesting so to see I'm, the next I'm, race i'm glad it's on the calendar twice Absolutely. speaking of the 2021 calendar so we've had a bit of country musical chairs, as it were. So mm -hmm. currently we're in the second race of a triple header. Uh, we started in France and now we're in Austria twice. And that is only because the race in France was uh, pulled up uh, a week uh, ahead of its original schedule because the, the race was originally supposed to Canada. Yeah. And Canada cancelled. So they put... Uh, the Istanbul, so the Turkish Grand Prix, to take the place of Canada. After that, Turkey was placed on the red zone by both uh, the UK. So quarantine uh, or quarantine obligations then made it impossible for Formula One to go to Istanbul. So therefore, they cancelled that race and they pulled France up ahead and they decided to have two races in Austria. So you think the story stops there, but then the whole musical chairs comes into play. We've already had previous confirmation of the race in Singapore being cancelled. So taking its place again is Istanbul. So yes. we are going back to Istanbul, Yay. apparently, which is great. Also in the news this uh, this week is that the, the Russian Grand Prix is actually going to move yep. from the Sochi uh, street Alpha track. Dome. Yep. Uh, to uh, a track, a Gora Drive, track near Saint Petersburg, yeah. starting from twenty twenty three. Yeah, exactly. I just looked a little bit briefly on it. It looked like a quite small track. Um, looks interesting enough, but not F one ready. That's for sure. But uh, it would be good. I think it's better for Russia to have a track like in Saint Petersburg, where there's a big city nearby. Easier well, it's for more, European it's fans more accessible to get there, for, for tours, sure. exactly. Lots to, of Finnish fans, the Baltic fans, Scandinavian fans, possibly as well, international fans. St. Petersburg is a, is a great city. It's a big metropolis. There's lots to do. Um, so, yeah, I think that will be better for the long-term future of the Russian Grand Prix. And just to talk a little bit, like you just mentioned, like how we've had like musical country chairs or whatever you just call it. Country musical chairs. Country, at the country musical chairs. Country musical chairs. Because that you know? sounds like I should be line dancing on top of a chair instead of a table. Yeah, and that's kind of what's happening with this season with the calendar. No, but yeehaw! Like, yeehaw! But big respect 
to all the organizers, all the tracks and everything, because we've had, like, we are still in a pandemic situation, but the fact that races can jump out and take other races come in and take their place, I mean, it's amazing. Logistics to get all of these things in order, and then on such short notice, I'm so impressed by it. Like, Formula One has really impressed me last year, this year, with the pandemic. Um, last year wouldn't have been as bearable it had it had it not been for f1 and everyone went out of the way to to get it to work and i was a bit scared it would be too soon or too risky but it seems that you know um despite all being, these things happening they're being a bit cheeky though they're being, they're being a, a bit, bit cheeky. creative and inventive but so it's the perfect time to be creative they've, and inventive. they've managed to circumvent the quarantine rules because from turkey they're going to go to japan mm -hmm. and after the Japanese race, going to spend a bit, like a few more days there and then flying back to the UK and then they don't have to quarantine I uh, see. for a, a very long period of time. I see. So it's about X amount of days that they've they spent at least uh, 14 days in a non-red country. All right. But that, that makes sense because that, that, is, then that is the rules and the interpretation is not something overly you know um crazy it just seems to be a smart way to go about things but the fact that it actually works is impressive because we're used to seeing f1 calendars being scheduled a year and a half in advance or year in advance you know but this is all happening um on such short notice and it's big money there's so much that needs to be organized you know i can't even organize my my thoughts when i go into a meeting at work like and here you have thousands of people needing to be flown somewhere with parts and everything and the track uh, logistics and yeah, incredible. F1 is such an interesting thing to to analyze, even if you're not an F1 fan, just like purely from the logistics and the science behind it. Cool. So to end on a little bit of salt, so in our first podcast, uh, we mentioned that we're hugely excited for the W Series to be part yes. of the Formula One calendar. Yes and i um can i can i be salty about this one yes okay okay bring on the salt yeah so as ryan has talked about lots of time now you know um f2 f3 and w series follow the f1 calendar around this year so they're not going to be at the same track sometimes it's f3 sometimes f2 and sometimes it's w series and f3 and f2 have been shown on sky sport and you know um so F1 that. TV Pro. Or F1 TV Pro, wherever you get your streams from. But, you know, if it, even if it's an illegal stream or whatever, it's usually Sky Sports. So I was going to check when is the WC's race going to be. Schedule? No, it just shows what date the race is. Uh, what time does the race start? I couldn't find it anywhere. And I looked and looked and looked and I spent like a good 15 minutes searching online. And that's a long time to look for something. And then I just thought like, fuck it. Like, this is such a shame. I was looking forward to following it. I find out it's shown on Channel 4 uh, in the end. Um, but, like, how hard was that to find? It is the same with F2 sometimes and F3. And I just, yeah, so I missed the W Series here. And it was with F1. Uh, it would have been great exposure for the W Series had it been on the same channel F1 is shown at for the fans to, to be able to watch it. But, of course, yeah, um, I, I mean, didn't know. I understand, I understand that, of course, Channel 4 which would it's make it more air. accessible. Exactly. Yeah, I would agree. Make it more I accessible. agree. So I would understand in, in terms of territory rights that, you know, Channel 4, Sky Sports, their competitors, fair enough. Channel 4 has the rights. But on F1 TV Pro, which is supposed to be managing the entire yep. race calendar, like we saw 
uh, Porsche Super Cup, which great, I like watching it. But if you're going to show them, and you have the W Series part of the calendar, why can't you show it on F1 TV Pro? Even? Yeah. Oh, I you agree. Know, that's just fucking stupid. We want to have more women uh, in F1. We want more diversity. And uh, now this series has been created to highlight the, those issues and maybe you know give women uh, a better chance to uh, joining Formula One or any other racing series, having a better career. Um, and then at the very last stage where it has to be broadcasted and being given out to fans, you've done all the homework and everything in the background to make it work. Again, logistics, money, the whole thing. I mean, and their whole the marketing office—they've gotten their job done. We were interested. Yeah. They have piqued our yeah. interest. Yeah. Now that we want to follow up on our interest, yeah. we fucking can't. Yeah, absolutely. It's the last step that just kind of crumbles. It's the most important step as well. Mm. And yeah, that's a shame because I would have loved to have seen that race here. And I think uh, with these spec cars they have, Austria is a good track like that as well. You know, you would have really seen some interesting racing. I have no idea what happened. Apparently, Kimi Lainen had some issues with the front wing and didn't get black flag because race direction was a joke. But that I'm used to. And I think yeah. it was Alice Powell. Yeah. I, I, I don't saw. know. I don't know. I, I don't Alice know Powell. the result. Yeah. But I have to give a shout out to Alice Powell because sometimes she commentates yes. on the Formula Theorist. Yeah. She is so knowledgeable. Yeah. I, I love and her commentary. Very laid back, so. very knowledgeable. Mm. And, you know, she, yeah, she, she knows more how the drivers think and everything. Yeah, uh, absolutely. She could be. We uh, love Alice Powell. Yeah, we do. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, and I saw her one because I went to the W Series website to find the schedule of the race. And then I clicked on Austria and her face came up saying she won the race. And I was like, oh, great. So, yeah, I couldn't even find where to watch it. And before I could even find what time the race had been on, it was already done. And the results was already on the website. So, yeah, that's a shame because I really want to, to watch the W Series this year. Me too. So yeah. we must uh, organize that. Yeah. Anyways, it's going to be uh, hopefully I don't know what time, but we'll be back shortly. Simply because Formula One is not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's back this time at the Austrian Grand Prix, and yeah. we're going to hear the traditional Austrian anthem. Yeah. Played before the race. Not that I like it that much. Maybe I like the steering. The Schlager was nice. Yeah, the Schlager. <laughs> I Schlager. Yeah. Schlager mark. Yeah. Good. Um, but yeah. As always. Yeah. yeah, if you have uh, anything to uh, shout out, um, please do give us a follow on our social media. And for next week, we're going to have a, a bit of a surprise for you. So definitely stay tuned uh, to see yeah. what that's uh, like. I don't even what's know happening. what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So anything uh, last words from you? Yeah, it'll be interesting. It might be one of the last times we have in a long while where we can get two back-to-back -back races that at the same track. So it'll be interesting to see how the teams cope with that again. And yeah, um, Ferrari, I think, will be stronger. They have realized how much race pace they have and they didn't have the issues they have in Paul Ricard. It's very strange. It's very mysterious what's going on there. They're trying different things. I think that's interesting. That's very un-Ferrari-like. So in the right direction. Uh, AlphaTauri as well I hope they will have a better weekend other than that I think Red Bull will actually just come back even stronger than they were but it will be interesting to see what Mercedes can uh, can say to that cool so once that happens as always we shall be back mm -hmm. and always remember to wash your hands. hands yeah alright bye bye <laughs>